When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. of the Birdshot Podcast is presented by Onyx Hunt, Final Rise, and Upland Gun Company. On this episode of the show, we jump into the Birdshot Podcast inbox. Thanks for tuning in to episode number Welcome back to the Bird Shop Podcast, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to another episode. We do not have a guest on the show today. It's just going to be me here with you for a little bit on this first episode of November. I've been keeping plenty busy, mixing in as much hunting as I can, and as such, do not have a regular guest interview scheduled this week. So rather than skip a week, I thought it would be a good opportunity to catch up on some listener emails. So all that to come in just a minute or so. And fear not, I intend to be back next week with our regularly scheduled programming. I think we've got Justin McGrail lined up to record next week and at least one other guest. So we'll be back to the interview format, but for this week, you just got me. So hang on tight. We're going to get to that in just a minute. First, thank you to Patreon patrons of the Birdshot Podcast. Of course, your continued support is greatly appreciated. Got more Birdshot Podcast can cooler and sticker packs headed out the door this week, which, of course, anyone that signs up at patreon.com forward slash birdshot and sends me their mailing address when I send them a message. I've noticed that I send everybody a message that signs up on Patreon, and I don't always hear back from people, and I think, or at least I should say I have a suspicion that sometimes that message shows up in their email. And I think some folks, I know some folks have tried to reply to that email and that goes to Patreon, not me. So if you don't message me back in Patreon, 
it's very likely I'm not seeing that. So I'm just kind of throwing this out there as a reminder on the podcast. If you are a Patreon subscriber and you never got your Birdshot Podcast can coolers and stickers and you think you sent me your mailing address, please check your Patreon messages, send me a message there, or just email me, nick at birdshotpodcast.com. Let me know what's up, and I can always confirm your Patreon status, and we can exchange the mailing address, and I can get it to you that way. Otherwise, I'll just assume you're not interested in those can coolers and stickers, which is totally fine, too. So if you sign up, you get the can coolers and stickers, you're eligible for discounts on products like Uplet Institute, video training series from Justin McGrail and Ron Bain, Gum Leaf USA, Rubber Boots for wet conditions and late season, which we are soon approaching. And you get access to some bonus content. Nick Adair and I of the Gun Dog It Yourself podcast doing monthly bonus episodes, putting those up on Patreon. And you are eligible for monthly giveaways, of which we have a winner to announce for October. And that winner is... We've got the October winner to announce... I just plugged in my spreadsheet of all active Patreon patrons using my random number generator. James M. has been selected. Winner of a one-year subscription to Onyx Elite. So congrats to James. And of course, thank you for his support of the Birdshot Podcast and to everybody else out there supporting as a Patreon supporter and to all of you simply listening. I appreciate each and every one of you. You are all valuable and supporting listeners of the Birdshot Podcast. Thank you. All right, so transitioning into the quote-unquote show today, I am joining you from the Birdshot Podcast studio on an absolutely miserable, is the word that comes to mind, day here in Duluth, Minnesota. I don't want to sound too complainy. It's just uh, we've had two days of wet, dreary, cold conditions, so... I don't know about you all, but that really starts to affect my energy levels and productivity when it's damp, cloudy, wet like this. I don't know. It's just something about it. And I've been doing plenty of hunting lately, so the dogs are getting some well-deserved rest, and I am not too up in arms about not being out in the woods or anything like that. I've got plenty of work to keep me busy here in the office. And like I said, good day to check in with the listeners, answer some questions for the inbox kind of set the stage for some upcoming interviews and good chunk of hunting season left that's for sure we've had really good conditions here of late despite the fact that the warm temps and some hot weather kind of hung on and really affected us quite a bit up until recently we are definitely in that sort of next phase of the grouse hunting season which i would consider really super prime time as long as this pattern holds the woods are very clean, very thinned out. Almost all the cover and leaves are down, at least where I'm hunting. The only thing hanging on really are probably oak trees and stuff, but that's not too big of an issue. Most of the woods are pretty clean. The aspen stands are pretty much bare and gray, and the grouse hunting is really good. Birds are spread out. They're not necessarily concentrated on winter patterns, winter cover from what I've seen, although it'll be interesting to see what happens now after this sort of two-day. It's been kind of warm. It's in the 40s, but two days of solid rain. I'm sure the birds are pretty holed up right now. And then on the tail end of this, tomorrow, Friday, when you may be listening to this, the temps are supposed to drop rapidly and significantly to below freezing levels. We may get some snow tomorrow. It looks like a lot of this is moving through 
before the temp is going to drop. So I'm kind of keeping my fingers crossed that we don't get a whole lot of snow, if any, because then the, the next week it's going to be cold. We got lows in the teens and highs in the 20s and 30s. So that'll be very cool, but really, really good hunting conditions for the most part. I like to think, for me, I love to see temps above 25 and maybe up to 40, maybe 45, but between 30 and 40 degrees is pretty awesome for hunting conditions as far as the dogs not overheating. And it just kind of, it's that temperature where it feels like you can sort of, you can keep going all day long. You're never really going to be too hot or too cold. So we're going to see a little bit of that next week. And if we don't get the snow, again, the woods are in primetime shape. Birds are spread out. We'll see what happens with this weather, but we've got some pretty good grouse hunting left here before a few of the key deer seasons kick in, which of course I'm kind of talking about the Great Lakes. So Minnesota deer rifle season opened last week, which effectively does not officially close rough grouse hunting, but for me, effectively it shuts it down. I don't go hunting during the Minnesota deer season, certainly not during the first week. I have been out on weekdays and maybe here and there on the third weekend. Although in the past I've typically been doing some deer hunting myself more recently i've not done that i continue grouse hunting in other nearby states aka wisconsin and even michigan this year whose rifle deer seasons do not open until a little later into november so that's what we've got going on here the rough grouse season is far from over on the calendar but as most of you out there listening know when you get to this point in the year and the temperature starts to drop, every day kind of starts to feel like a bonus. Every extra day I get out hunting in snow-free woods, I am thankful for and feel kind of like it's a bonus at this point. I did sneak over to Michigan for a couple days last week, an annual grouse camp I do with some friends. We did it in Michigan this year. I actually had to shorten my trip a little bit on the front end, and then the forecast last weekend was incredibly dire it looked like it was almost going to be a total rainout for the entire time that i was going to be there but fortunately the friday and saturday that i had to hunt friday the rain did not hit until much later in the day it was originally predicted to hit early but it held off until i don't know four or five o'clock and started out it was hot and muggy it was overcast but kind of hot and muggy but then the temp actually dropped throughout the day so it was kind of interesting on the on the front end of that rain and cold front but anyways i hunted the up for the first time in a few years at least and it was awesome had a good hunt for one day dropping into a new area had never hunted there before did a little e-scouting and scratched out a solid hunt over there in michigan and i will say that was one of the first times really that i'd kind of been off the i've been through the up a bunch well, I shouldn't say a bunch, a few times, handful of times I've been through the UP and back going to Northern Lower for to visit Dell Whitman and do some hunting in Northern Lower and that sort of thing. I've, I've spent like a couple half days here and there in the UP, but I've very rarely have I been off like the main highways, M28 and everything. And man, I got off it this year and it was, I was just, I was just kind of taken aback as somebody that is very fond of the Northwoods landscape, the UP just, it seems like such an expanse of that Northwoods cover and landscape that I have just come to know and love. So it was, it was really neat getting off the, 
off the highway and driving around and scouting some bird covers and dropping into the woods and going out and finding rough grouse. You know, it was, it felt similar to me in many ways, but it was of course different in other ways. I found myself in a hellhole of a cedar swamp and I was thinking of one of my previous guests, Fritz Heller, as we talked about some of those Michigan cedar swamps, which again, I see some of that here, but this one in particular was actually positioned firmly between a cover that looked pretty good, but was actually a hunter walking trail. It wasn't something that I had scouted and wanted to hunt, but I went through that. And then to get to the cover that I had identified as the cover that I wanted to hunt, I had to cross what turned out to be, I realized once I got there, and I really do this, I guess, from looking at the map, but you never know until you see it. But it was a nasty cedar swamp. So Rose and I kind of tiptoed our way across that thing. Fortunately, it wasn't too wide. We used Onyx Hunt to identify sort of the shortest point where we could cross from high ground to high ground. And, man, it was nasty in there. There's blowdown. It's just everything's tipped over on its side. You're up and down and under and around kind of worry about the dog running around through there so I tried to keep rose close and sort of minimize any potential damage that could be done crossing that stuff but we got across it we got to the cover that we wanted to hunt and then we found a bunch of grouse so that was cool and i don't know if the cover that we got into it was easily accessible by some private land but other than the way that i got in there across that cedar swamp i don't think there was another way to really access that piece of public so I don't know if that had something to do with why there were a bunch of birds in there versus a lot less in the cover that I traversed to get there. But I found that kind of interesting and anyways, had a really good hunt in there with Rose and then we got back to the truck, checked the forecast, saw that the rain, we thought we were racing the clock really to get a hunt in. Then we got back to the truck and checked the forecast and the rain was pushed out even another few hours. So we moved down the road a couple miles and I went and ran Hartley in another spot and moved some birds there too. So, and then the following day, Saturday, it was indeed a complete and total rain out. So my buddies had been on the road for a few days prior to that. They kind of made the decision to just break camp on that Saturday. And I actually backtracked to my cabin in Wisconsin, sort of drove west out of the rain as it moved east and got some additional hunting in in Wisconsin that weekend. But that was my very, very short truncated trip to the UP. And I'm not telling anybody that hunts there anything they don't know, but just an impressive piece of the natural world, incredible resource, lots of public land. And I hope this is not mistaken for me trying to highlight the UP or send anybody else there. I'm just simply expressing my appreciation for it. Of course, we have amazing public land resources and habitat in Minnesota and Wisconsin as well, but it's always fun to step out of the home covers for a little bit and see some new ground. So I had a blast on a very short trip to Michigan this year. All right, that's kind of the hunting update for me, just sharing a little bit of the real-time roughed grouse report from my perspective. Now, I'm going to jump into, I've got three or four listener emails here. They asked me some questions, and I'd been putting them off for a while, just slow to get to my inbox, and I figured I would answer a few of those on the podcast today. So we're going to start with a question and email from Brian. Brian. 
He writes, first off, I love all the Girlswoods content lately on the podcast. I'm newer to the sport, so listening is super helpful. I have a question for you that stems from the fact that I got into a bunch of birds last weekend. I still have ringing and reduced hearing in my left ear from all the shooting. And I'm wondering if you could help me out with your opinions on the electronic hearing protection options out there. I know at one point you had somebody from ESP on the podcast, and I would be looking for honest opinions on how effective they are, especially for their greater than $2,000 price tag. I've been using some earbuds made by 3M that offer protection with basic amplification, but hunting with friends, I know I'm missing birds that they are hearing. I get frustrated and take them out, which defeats the entire purpose. Do you have any tips or insight? Are they worth the money? Any help you could provide would be super helpful. Thanks for the great content and good luck the rest of the season. Thank you, Brian, for the kind words and for writing in. And when it comes to electronic hearing protection, it's a great question. It's an issue that I sort of half-heartedly tackled a couple years ago. I did interview somebody from ESP and in exchange for some podcast advertising, they did provide me with a set of the ESP digital hearing protection custom molded. I believe I had the Stealth model. Yeah, I just looked it up, the Stealth model, which at the time I believe were $24.99. They are currently listed on the ESP website for $2,100. I will speak to those because I have them and I have used them. They are a excellent piece of digital hearing protection. I wear them a lot when the application allows me to which is typically sporting clays, obviously high volume shooting there. And I have worn them out pheasant hunting and sharp tail hunting out West where I tried to wear them. And I do not currently wear them would be in the roughed grouse and woodcock covers that I so often find myself in. I do not fault ESP or the technology here. It is simply that the technology in my experience, is not where it needs to be to bridge the gap between protecting my hearing without significantly reducing my enjoyment level and or significantly increasing the frustration level that is sometimes experienced in the rough grouse woods. Something about the low frequency of the flushing roughed grouse just does not translate well enough on the digital hearing amplification side of things. And in the case of rough grouse hunting, hearing the bird flush, which I think we probably talked about some when I interviewed Jack from ESP and probably in other times, hearing the bird flush is such a critical component to so many opportunities in the grouse woods to getting those opportunities. You often hear the bird long before you see the bird, catch a glimpse of it. And it's by hearing the bird you're getting that pinpoint location or at least a better idea of where the bird is so you can direct your gaze over there and make your gun mount, swing, shoot, all that good stuff. When I wore the digital hearing protection, there are two things that I just could not get over and are the reasons that I do not wear them while I'm rough grouse and woodcock hunting. One of them is simply that, hearing the bird flush and just not being able to identify where it was. There was, In fact, there was one example where I remember... And this was kind of the deal breaker for me. I had rows on point. I circled in. I spotted the grouse on the ground. I moved in for the flush and saw the bird take off. I remember this vividly. Saw the bird take off. I missed the bird. That's probably why I remember it so vividly. 
had nothing to do with the hearing protection, but the issue was that I was very close to that bird and I did not hear it. There might've been a little wind that day and the stealth actually have some wind proofing built into them, which I will say is very good. Like overall, I was really impressed with the ESPs, how they amplify sound, what you can hear, how they block out the sound. It's just in the application of the rough grouse woods, it's just really, really challenging. And again, I don't really fault ESP or the technology there. It's just not, it just hasn't reached that level yet. I, I wish it did and I wish it, I wish it could be there, but based on what I've seen and heard, I should say, it's not there yet. So there's that. And then the brush noise is a significant, significant issue with the amplification. So the digital hearing protection is amplifying sound so you can hear what's going on around you, but then it cuts out the sound when the gunshot goes off. The brush noise was just very excessive, in my opinion, that I was picking up through the digital hearing protection. And they've got volume controls on there. So I was fiddling with the volume, turning it up, turning it down. I just, I could not get to a point that I was comfortable with what I could hear without hearing too much of the brush. And it's not the, it's not necessarily your feet crunching into leaves or anything like that. It's when the brush gets up around your shoulders, your chest, your head area, that stuff scraping across my chest and shoulders just became excessively, excessively loud in the digital hearing protection. And it was another one of the reasons why. And so to summarize, my experience with digital hearing protection has been overall positive. I I mean, it, it absolutely has a place in this world. And I think for the right application, I mentioned pheasant hunting, sharp tail hunting, those are more visual than they are, than you're, than you are leaning on the audio part of it, hearing the bird flush. A lot of times you can see everything that's going on. Now there's, there's still certainly cases where, you know, sharp tail gets up behind you and you hear that chucka, chucka, chucka. That would actually, I think, pick up quite well on the digital hearing protection in that open space versus the beating of the wings. And again, I warm for sharp tail hunting, pheasant hunting, it's great for that. And if I was sitting in a duck blind, I would be wearing them 100% every day, all day. Anything I was doing, sitting stationary, they're perfect for that and might be worth it to you depending on how you want to use it. But if you are considering spending that kind of money, I think there's a high probability that with that kind of financial outlay and using them for rough grouse and woodcock hunting in heavy cover I think there's a decent chance that you will be disappointed by spending a significant amount of money on a great product that just doesn't seem to have the capability to fit that application as of yet. Again, I hope that changes. And I've said it a couple of times, I'll say it again. I'm not faulting the companies that are producing the digital hearing protection for any of this. I just think it's a specific niche application that my experience in the grouse woods was diminished to the point that I'm making the decision to further damage my hearing rather than wear the digital hearing protection. And I've talked to many, many people about this. I know lots of old grouse hunters that have shot and shot and shot and they don't hear so much anymore. And, and some of them have shared their opinions about protecting your hearing. And it seems silly to kind of say it out loud that I'm 
I'm choosing not to wear the digital hearing protection knowing that I'm further damaging my hearing. But again, the experience was just diminished so much for me while I was wearing it and protecting my hearing that I just couldn't justify wearing them any longer. So that's where I'm at with it. I hope that is somewhat helpful to Brian and anybody else out there considering digital hearing protection. And I will just add, I said it before, I will say it again. I certainly hope that technology continues to improve and that someday we will be able to wear digital hearing protection in the grouse and woodcock cover. And if anybody else has had a different experience or tried a different product that has worked successfully for them in the grouse woods, I would love to know about it. You can always email me at nick at birdshoppodcast.com. Gearing up for your next hunt? Check out Ugly Dog Hunting Company for all your dog supply needs. Ugly Dog Hunting carries a full line of products for your bird dog and even some for you. Whether you're looking for dog collars, GPS tracking devices, kennels, beds, leads, training equipment, or first aid supplies, Ugly Dog Hunting carries it and a whole lot more. New owner of the company and friend of the Bird Shop podcast, Mike Nadusky, loves to remind me that while I do hunt with pretty dogs, every dog can be an ugly dog. Check out the entire selection of gear for you and your bird dog at UglyDogHunting.com. For many upland hunters, along with their passion for dogs, birds, and the places we chase them, comes a passion for shotguns. Upland Gun Company specializes in customizing shotguns for the upland bird hunter imported from Italy and shipped direct to an FFL near you. Select from one of their side-by-side or over-under shotgun platforms and customize the fit, function, and aesthetics to your liking. Design and build your next upland hunting shotgun with Upland Gun Company today. Visit uplandguncompany.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, moving on. Next question from listener Nate. Emailer writes, Nick, thank you so much for taking the time to answer my questions and for all that you do for the Upland community. Quick background, I'm an adult onset hunter. Three years ago, I got a dog with the intent to train him as a bird dog and teach myself to hunt upland birds. We have a family cabin. I'm going to leave out those locations in Minnesota. So we're talking upper Great Lakes here. My first grouse hunting, my dog is great. Great nose, holds point very well. At the end of the day, we seem to find grouse, but it's been too inconsistent to pattern. I've been hearing and reading of people that routinely go out and limit out on grouse within a few hours. So I feel I must not be quite grasping the habitat and patterns of grouse. My biggest frustration is when we spend hours hiking to and through unproductive habitat getting few, if any, flushes. Okay, I'm going to pause there and just say that with respect to hearing and reading of people that go out and limit on grouse, a limit on ruffed grouse can be achieved in a number of different ways through a number of different methods. And I will just say that this year, in my experience, has been a good to very good year for ruffed grouse hunting in this part of the world. And as a result, I think we've seen an increase in some of that hunter success being shared and posted online, some of those social media platforms that we go on. So 
just always take that with a little bit of a grain of salt. I'm not over here casting stones or anything, but I'm just saying you see a picture of five grouse or hear about it. You don't exactly know the entire story, how those grouse wound up there, and you'll never know that. So try to refrain from comparing too much your success to somebody else's. Focus more on the process than the result. So this, in this case, the emailer talks about inconsistently flushing and finding grouse. That's a good thing to focus on. The successfully taking five grouse in a day comes down the road later. That's the result. But focusing on the process, how do we consistently find and flush more grouse? That would be what I would focus on. And I wouldn't necessarily assume that you're doing something entirely wrong just because you did not get a limit. A limit on roughed grouse is no small thing in my opinion. And and when it comes to seeing and hearing about that sort of stuff, remember we're always seeing the distillation, the highlight reel of a lot of people out there hunting and untold days, hours, weeks of unsuccessful hunts. But the limit photos tend to appear more and find their way to the top more. So just a little commentary there. But again, back to the email. Here are a few questions that I've been pondering as I've reflected on my experiences over the past few years. Is it productive to hunt the whole day or just morning and evening? Short answer, yes. It is productive to hunt the whole day. Mornings and evenings can have things going for them that the whole day does not always. The things that come to mind for me, mornings and evenings tend to be times of the day when wildlife are more active just as a whole, sort of that rising tide floats all boats. Conditions can set up better. It could be cooler in the early season. You want you typically want it to be cooler, so mornings can be good for that. It can be calmer. The sun hasn't risen and whipped up the air currents and the wind isn't blowing. So you can have co- you can have cool, calm conditions. As you get later into the season, the afternoon tends to be warmer. And in the case of the late season, I'm thinking more along the lines of it being very cold at night, very cold in the morning. And it isn't until that afternoon period when the temps actually warm up, which are better for the hunter and maybe the birds. I don't, I don't know how much it affects the birds really at that point. If we're talking twenties and thirties, that sort of thing, I think they're okay, but still something to consider. Additionally, I find, I feel the late afternoon evening is a time when grouse are quite active. They're trying to get a good feeding in before they go to roost. So if I, if you pressed me and said, you can only hunt four hours a day or three hours or whatever it is, you you can only hunt one time period of the day. I'm going to take the late afternoon evening the last four hours of the day. Essentially, I would take that as my favorite time to be in the woods, all those things considered, but Like this time of year, right now, November, when conditions are pretty good, temperatures are good, and you're not getting kicked out of the woods by heat or other weather, you hunt all day. The birds do not leave the woods, and you can have productive hunting from sunrise to sunset. You can hunt all dang day. So if you got it, go. If you can only get out for one part of the day versus the other, whether it's morning or evening, don't not go because you can only hunt the morning or you can only hunt the evening or you can only hunt midday. If you can only get out for a certain part of the day, just go. You can grouse hunt all day long. That's the short answer. All right, next question. I've been told and heard that we need to get off the trail and hunt the thick aspen cover. 
but I'm hearing a lot of people that are finding lots of birds on the trails. I walk through the thick aspen cuts and just get mad. I can barely move, much less swing a gun, and probably couldn't see a bird if it did get up. So this question, I kind of answered this on the listener Q&A I did with Brady Martin. That was a few episodes back. We did sort of rough grouse and woodcock hunting question and answer with Brady. He was a newer hunter asking me some questions, and we talked about this, which, by the way, I'll just throw this in there. That episode performed really, really well, which I certainly took note of that folks were interested in that episode with just me and Brady chatting about rough grouse and woodcock hunting. And a lot of people listened to it. So that was cool. And we talked about a few of those questions and we interviewed Fritz Heller, another very, very experienced grouse hunting. We interviewed him the following week and kind of added to that conversation. So I think that kind of boosted the people listening to that show. And anyways, this question about trails. I use trails. I hunt off trails. I do them both. I I don't, I don't avoid trails. I should say, I don't typically avoid trails thinking that I will find more birds off of them. If that makes sense. I'm not afraid to walk a trail. I'm not afraid to spend some time on a trail through good cover or use a trail to access one piece of cover to another. Grouse, key off of and utilize trails, whether they're old, they're usually old skid trails, logging trails from when the forestry took place. The loggers had to get the machinery in there and then they leave the area after the trees are cut and the trails grow in to a certain extent, but they're usually maintained by hunters, four-wheelers, the loggers again, accessing a different piece, et cetera, et cetera. There's, There's trails, logging trails and access roads are very common throughout the Northwoods, rough grouse and woodcock covers of the upper Great Lakes that I tend to hunt and the listener, the emailer is hunting in. So, so those trails are there. They're there year round. Even when we're not in the woods, those trails are there. And as we mentioned in that episode, trails are an edge in the forest. They're an opening in the canopy. You get sunlight there. You get increased diversity in shrubs, plants. Sometimes you can have clover. You can have wild strawberry. You can have all sorts of things growing alongside that trail that might not be growing 10, 15, 20, 30 yards into the woods. And the birds know that because the birds live out there. They are utilizing and keying off those trails. There's a reason that if you spend any amount of time on those trails in the fall, you will inevitably flush grouse, especially in a year like this. So to kind of get more to the point of the listener's question, of the emailer's question, I would say that he mentions being told he needs to get off the trail to, and hunt thick aspen cover. I would say, no, you do, you do not have to do that. If you wanted to, you could hunt trails all day long and see grouse. Now, are you going to see more grouse than the person that has a lot of experience and has identified some edges within the cover and pockets of habitat that are off trail? especially as you get later into the season and there has been more hunting pressure? Probably not. You could. I mean, I would say that trails can be as productive or more productive than certain pieces of cover. I wouldn't guarantee that you're going to automatically see less birds hunting a trail. Some days the birds just want to be there, whether it's the clover or the greens or whatever it is. That just That's the way grouse hunting is. Sometimes 
they're keyed in on a certain spot, you're in the right place at the right time. So if the frustration level is reaching a point that you don't even want to be there, you don't want to be tangled up in the Aspen cover. And, and I get it. I've been there. You, you crash through a hundred, 200, 300 yards of thick Aspen cover, especially on tougher years when the birds are fewer and farther between you claw your way through 300 yards of cover. And then the dog goes on point and you're barely getting there and you hear it and never even see it. That's frustrating. You're so close, but so far away. That's, that's absolutely, you know, we've all been there probably anybody listening to this at one point or another. So I would just simply say, if you want to go walk a trail to give yourself a break or try to get a cleaner look at a rough grouse, you can do it with a reasonable expectation that you probably will flush a grouse at some point. Now, something to keep in mind, you really want to be observant when you're walking trails. If you are walking a trail and you flush a grouse, take a look at that cover. Where did it flush into? Where, where's the cover that it flew into? Where did it flush out of? And does that look like a piece of cover that you might want to veer off the trail and go work that cover rather than following the trail like you're on rails that might take you out of that good cover just to stay on that trail? That's where you got to kind of use your, you know, you got to be a hunter at that point. We have to observe. We got to pay attention. But I mean, really, that's how I did it for a long time when I was younger. I walked a lot of trails and I was not paying attention to plant shrub and tree species the way I do now but you do something long enough you start to realize patterns that's kind of how it works and just by sheer volume and number of miles walked on trails over and over again I started to recognize what good grouse cover looked like so I think you can you can do it a lot more efficiently than I did growing up with a little bit of paying attention and connecting some of the dots quicker than I did but Trails are part of rough grouse hunting for me. How much or how little kind of depends on the time of year. And I think I mentioned this on the episode with Brady, like this time of year when all the cover's down, I find it much more enjoyable to be working the cover, being off trail, being in areas where I feel there hasn't been a hundred people walking by that spot from September 15th to November 10th or whatever it is on that day. I get more enjoyment out of being off trail and going deeper this time of year. And it's easier to do with the woods being thinned out and a little bit cleaner. So that's kind of, that's kind of how I approach it. I use trails more so early season because as I kind of mentioned, I I feel like the birds have been kind of keying off them all summer. They're sort of, you've got younger birds, they're congregated along trails and being in that thick early season foliage off trail that's that's kind of the that can lead to some of that undue frustration i think in my opinion so that's trails in a nutshell all right two more from this emailer we seem to have no problem finding woodcock i get into what i think should be good grouse cover based on what i've heard you and others describe picture attached but we mostly put up woodcock does that mean we're not in quite the right area so the listeners can't see this photo but i will attempt to describe it it is a very nice looking stand of aspen that looks to me to be about eight to ten years old it is purely aspen looks like it's on the side of a trail i'm just kind of guessing there it's a small picture small 
field of view. But anyways, nice looking Aspen stand, a place that I would never be surprised to flush a grouse, but I would certainly expect to find good numbers of woodcock. It's that clean, pure Aspen stand that has a tendency, and there's not a, it's sometimes it's hard to tell in the photos. I think I'm seeing a little bit of hazel brush here, maybe not a ton, but there's not a ton of ground cover. So again, my opinion, very good cover, very good looking cover for woodcock. There probably are grouse in there, but if I'm trying to find the most grouse possible, which is kind of what we're, we're always sort of getting at that. It's like, we know we can go stumble around the woods and kick up a grouse, but how do we increase our odds of finding more grouse? What I would do in this case is if I'm looking at this cover, this is where, and I talked about this in the episode with Brady, I'm going to pull up my map and I'm going to figure out where is the edge of this Aspen stand. This is a perfect example of good quality Aspen cover, but let's increase the diversity. And the easiest way to do that is to find where this Aspen stand meets up with whatever it's adjacent to, whether it's a stand of oak trees, a mature Aspen stand, a conifer swamp, cedar swamp, whatever it is. If you're not finding grouse, you want to find more grouse and you're looking at cover like this, I wouldn't necessarily pick up and leave. I would go to the edge of this spot, this cut, and start working around the edge of it. So then we're accomplishing two things. We're off the trail, probably. Sometimes the trail goes right along the edge. But go find the edge of it. You're off the trail at that point. You just increase the diversity surrounding you by moving to the edge of a young aspen stand and whatever it is adjacent to and work that edge. And this is something Fritz Heller talked about when I interviewed him. If he's around an aspen stand, first thing he's going to do is probably go to the edge, work all the way around it, depending on the size of it, the time, et cetera, et cetera. But move to the edge, and in theory, you should increase your odds of finding more grouse on the edge of that aspen stand than wandering around along the trail through the middle of it. Again, it's not that you won't flush a grouse there. But if we want to see more grouse, think about how you can increase the diversity of the habitat that you and your dog are in. And an easy way to do that is to move to the edge of that cut in this picture that he sent me. And last thing I will say there, if you're in a spot like that and you're finding a bunch of woodcock, I wouldn't necessarily assume that you're in the wrong spot. Again, that there's a bunch of woodcock in there. It doesn't mean there's not a bunch of grouse, but... As you probably heard me say on the show before, I'm trying to, I'm not necessarily trying to find as the most woodcock I can. I'm trying to find the most grouse I can and sort of take the woodcock opportunities that I get. And typically when I alter my strategy in that way by doing the things I talked about, like moving to the edge of that cover and looking for a little bit more diversity and mixed habitat, typically I will see more grouse and less woodcock. So if you get into an aspen stand like that and you start popping up woodcock, you'll know it real fast. You'll realize, wow, there's a bunch of woodcock in here. If if that's where you and your dog want to be that day, great. Have a blast. If you don't want to spend a bunch of time going from woodcock point or flush to woodcock point or flush, I would try moving to that edge. Or if the woodcock are super thick in there, you might end up having to go to a different spot. But that's kind of a separate issue. Just pointing out that 
I would not say that an abundance of woodcock means you're in the wrong spot. It just might not be where you want to be if your goal is to find more rough grouse. All right. Lastly, are you e-scouting primarily with Onyx, Scout and Hunt, or both? I would say to answer the question, primarily Onyx. That's where I spend most of and the bulk of my time scouting, navigating in the field, and storing information, tracks, waypoints, et cetera, et cetera. I do use both Onyx and Scout and Hunt and have gained valuable information from both. I will say that the forestry data and resources have been ever increasing in Onyx Hunt. And when it comes to Onyx Hunt, I will also mention here, just in an attempt to be as transparent as I can on the show, Onyx Hunt is, of course, the title sponsor of the Birdshot podcast. And as such, dating back to either 2017 or 18, I have had access to the Onyx Elite platform as part of the partnership with Onyx on the Birdshot podcast. So just to be clear there, but Onyx Hunt is the daily driver, so to speak. Onyx Hunt is where I go to do the bulk of my e-scouting, mapping, and really the infield navigating part of it because I use offline maps a lot. I make sure I have high-quality satellite imagery of the places I'm going to be hunting, and I use my phone a lot to navigate while I'm in the cover, make decisions on where I want to go or how I want to approach things. I'm using my eyes to read the cover, and I'm following my dogs and all that sort of good stuff, but I do use Onyx to increase the efficiency level of the way I cover ground and the way I navigate in the woods. And it's just a, it is my go-to kind of do all, do everything mapping application. I use the web app at home, bigger screen. I'm on the computer, dropping pins, everything syncs to the phone. I use the phone a ton on the road and in the field. And that's where I'm saving waypoints, tracks, all that good stuff. So super easy to use interface and Truly a product that once integrated and used, it is hard to imagine going back to the days before Onyx. It is that good. So if you haven't tried it, I would highly recommend you check it out. All right. That caps off the email from Nate. So thanks to Nate for writing in those questions. Hopefully some of that was helpful. And that is a wrap on the Birdshot Podcast inbox. And with that complete, I think I'm going to wrap up this episode. I had plans to dive into some mid-season gear conversation, but based on where we're at length and duration-wise, I think it would be best to save that for a different episode. So maybe I'll do a bonus episode this month, or we'll see how the scheduling goes and how the rest of the month plays out. But I do want to get you that gear episode where... It'll probably just be me again. I'm going to talk through some stuff, some of the stuff that I use on a daily basis, kind of why I use it and my thought process going into it. Just with it being mid-season, holidays coming up, gift ideas, all that kind of stuff. I just want to go over some gear and I get a fair amount of questions on that as well. So I'll keep that in the back pocket. Be on the lookout for that. If you got anything you want to hear about or learn about, feel free to send me an email, nick at birdchatpodcast.com. But that's it for this week. Again, I love hearing from people. Always appreciate the questions I get in the email box. And hopefully some of those questions we answered today were 
of interest and perhaps use to some of you listening out there. And feel free to send in questions of your own, nick at birdshotpodcast.com. Until I chat with you next week, I hope you're getting out in the uplands this weekend, week, maybe listening to this on the way to the next bird cover. Wish you the best of luck. Enjoy these November days. Stay safe, be happy, and good luck. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Birdshot Podcast presented by Onyx Hunt, Final Rise, and Upland Gun Company. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share. And if you really love the show and want to contribute above and beyond what you already do by listening, you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash birdshot. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode of the Birdshot Podcast. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.